Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. I'm so glad that you're here. I would love to start out by praying together. Would you be willing to pray with me right now? Father, Son, and Spirit, I trust you to do what only you can do in this place this morning. I trust you to move in hearts, to cause us to get uncomfortable in the areas where maybe we have grown comfortable. And God, would you move us into spaces and places where you are drawing us to take courage today? Jesus, I am so aware that I cannot do that in a human heart, but you can. And so whatever words I have prepared that don't need to come out of my mouth, God, I just pray that you would keep them in. And whatever words that you have for your people this morning, that those would be the words that would come forward. I trust you. I'm open to you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we are in a series right now called the unstoppable force. And we are walking through the book of Acts this month. In fact, we're gonna dive right in this morning. So I'm gonna have you grab the Bible that's in the seat back in front of you. And we're gonna turn to the book of Acts. And we're gonna look at chapter nine this morning. It's on page 765. And what I want you to do is just kind of put your finger in there. And we're gonna get to Acts nine in just a moment. But I wanna give you a little bit of background as to what we've been studying uh, around this unstoppable force, this, this church in the book of Acts. You see, this very first church, it was an unstoppable force. And in many ways, we are here today because of that first church. Because of that church in the book of Acts, we still continue to meet. And since it began over 2,000 years ago, you think about all that has occurred in a 2,000 year span of history. I mean, empires have come and gone, haven't they? Leaders have come and gone. Movements have come and gone. And yet, the church still remains. And that is because God's church is the only endeavor that will last forever. Amen? Amen. And this first church was equally obsessed, as we learned in, in week one, that they were obsessed with both grace and growth. They somehow got that grace is knowing that God's done it all for me, and growth is that God's not done with me. And these two values were inseparable to the first church. They didn't live this kind of either or. They didn't have this duality to, to grace and to growth. The first church in Acts was so aware that God was both with them, they were always in the presence of God, and God was for them. And so they chose to be a community that was the same. They wanted to be with people and for people. And when you read the first few chapters in the book of Acts, the church that is described is beautiful, isn't it? I don't know if you're reading along in Acts. I hope that you do this month. But you read those first few chapters in this church. is beautiful. It's almost idyllic the way that it's described. I mean, every time someone was in need, the need was met. Every time someone needed healing, they were healed. People 
saw God answering prayers. There was no gossip. There was no quarreling among them. I mean, friends, cats and dogs, they were living in perfect unity with one another. It was like heaven on earth. It says in Acts 4.33, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? You read the description of that and you go, yes, I want to be a part of an unstoppable force like that. But if you continue reading on, you know that what was once so beautiful and so powerful and this unstoppable force, it wasn't too long into their journey, into their story, that they began to face great difficulty. Their comfort as a church was quickly disrupted with very challenging circumstances. You see, you don't have to read too far to see that this church that was exploding with growth, they started facing some very real growing pains. And and the growing pains that they were facing were not things like, you know, like when somebody would drive up, I mean, God forbid they would have a hard time finding a parking spot, right? Or or like after the service, they would go upstairs and there would be this like line of 20 people to get their preschooler out of the kids' ministry, right? Or, Or God forbid, I mean, they would have to have four different service times for people to actually assemble. I mean, that is hardship, isn't it? I hear there's a church and and those are the hardships that they are facing. No, you see, the problems that this church was facing was they started facing real persecution. Some of the leaders that, that were leading the church were actually put in prison because they spoke the name of Jesus. Can you imagine tomorrow morning opening up your phone or or looking on the news and Jarrett and I are put in jail because of sharing the name of Jesus with somebody? I hope somebody would come and bail us out in this church, right? (laughs) Uh, one One of their key leaders, Stephen, he was killed, he was stoned to death by the religious elite, the Sanhedrin. And this once unstoppable force was up against the ropes. And not just that, one of the most vocal oppositions was a guy by the name of Saul. And he literally wanted to destroy this movement. He wanted to make sure that this unstoppable force was stopped. In fact, it says in Acts 8.3 that Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and he put them in prison. You see, being a part of this church was no longer comfortable. Can you imagine if we said today, hey, thanks everybody for coming. So glad to have you. We hope you come back next week. You know, there's about a 90% chance that if you come here, you're going to get arrested, but we hope you come anyways. Do you think attendance might go down? You see, this, this once winning team, this once beautiful movement, this once front page story was now really struggling. And what I know about people and what I know about myself is no one goes out looking for discomfort, do we? None of us goes looking for the uncomfortable. We like when things are up and to the right, right? 
At least I do. I'll, I'll be honest in church. I, I, I like when things are kind of moving like this in my life trajectory. We like comfort. I like comfort. I mean, we like no traffic, right? If I can get an amen on anything this morning, I'm going to get an amen on that. We like when there isn't traffic. We like when we don't have to wait in lines. Gosh, we like remembering our password for all of the things that people make us make a password for, right? Friends, I need some help on the password thing. I, I, am, I am struggling there. We like conflict-free relationships. We like bosses that agree with everything that we say. We like employees that agree with everything that we say. Gosh, we like comfort food, don't we? We like comfort clothes, don't we? I mean, some of you might be wearing your comfort clothes right now. We don't like feeling uncomfortable. But life has this way of taking what we make comfortable and then disrupting that. My question for you this morning is what do you do when you feel uncomfortable? What do you do when you feel uncomfortable? When you're overwhelmed? I mean, where do you go when you're under pressure? How do you process the moments when you feel scared, when you feel unsure? What do you do when you feel uncomfortable? My hunch is that when you get uncomfortable, you start craving comfort. And the reason I know that is because it's what I crave. You see, many of us, when we get uncomfortable, we start to double down on comfort. We turn to our old trusty coping mechanisms. We start to avoid, we numb out. We run from the thing that we think will be so hard or so difficult, and we start battling to get back to the place where we once felt comfortable, but comfort was never something that you and I were created to go out and get for ourselves. You see, comfort was not designed as something for us to get. Comfort was designed as a gift to be given. Comfort is not something for you to go out and get for yourself. Comfort was designed as a gift to be given, specifically a gift from Jesus. Jesus is the provider of comfort. And comfort is a blessing. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be what? Comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comfort, true comfort. I'm not talking about comfort food or comfort clothes. I'm not talking about, you know, sailing on 90 and having no traffic. I'm talking about true comfort. That comes from Jesus. True comfort is a gift of peace and presence that comes from Jesus. True comfort can be a hug from a friend. Because not only does comfort come from Jesus, he designed us to also give comfort to others. So it can be a hug from a friend, a quiet moment in the morning, a meal shared around a table with people that see you and accept you for who you are. Comfort is a gift. It is not a commodity to hoard. And yet we live in a world and Every single thing out there, every single market out there is telling you to live 
a life of comfort. But what do you do when life gets hard? I mean, what do you do when you look at your life and you look at your circumstances and you look at what is happening and you're staring straight into pain? Things have gotten hard. Because when things get hard in life, what we want to do is we want to go out and find the remedy, don't we? We want to get the cure. We want to get out of this as fast as possible. Anybody want to stay here? Nobody wants to stay here, right? What we want to do is we want to go out and we want to figure out how can I get out of this and get some more of this? I don't want hard. I want comfort. But the problem with the comfort that we seek, which is not true comfort, is that it never truly cures that which is hard. That's because you and I were not designed to go out and find our own comfort. Jesus is who gives true comfort. What you and I were designed for, what we were made for, what we were wired up for, what we were woven together in every single one of our mother's wounds is you were not designed for a life of comfort. Friends, you were designed for a life of courage. And when you find yourself here, every time you have been here has been an opportunity for you to say, I'm gonna take courage. I'm gonna take courage. You see, the battle is not for comfort. The battle is for courage in our lives. The battle of your life is not so that you can get more comfort. The battle of your life is so that you can become courageous. And when I look at the book of Acts and when, when things got hard in this church, they could have doubled down on comfort. They could have just gotten comfy. They could have just gotten cozy. They could have stopped taking risks. They could have said, we have grown enough. Enough people are here. Enough needs have been met. Let's close the doors. We don't want to be comfortable. We don't want to be courageous anymore. But the exact opposite happened in this church. Now, I hope that you have kept your finger in this riveting introduction. I hope you have kept your finger in the Acts 9 passage. It has been riveting, has it not? Okay. Anyone going to come with me today? Yes. All right. Acts 9. I want to look at a moment in Acts 9 where the whole movement of the church shifted. You remember when I mentioned the struggles and the persecutions that this church was facing, particularly from a man named Saul. And the guy was taking Jesus followers from their homes, throwing them in jail, and he was out to stop the unstoppable force. And this is what it says, Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So you can see, I mean, his, his mission is to destroy the church. He went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone, any, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners 
to Jerusalem. So you see what Saul is doing here. He's going out and he's getting support for his mission. He's getting letters of authority. He's getting backup so that he can go and stop this unstoppable force. And so he's about to head to Damascus and he's about to make sure that the church does not go forward in this city. This is what it says as we go on. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, can you imagine, right? A light from heaven comes. Saul sees this light. He falls to the ground. I probably would have done way more than just fall to the ground, right? I would have passed out in fear. And now this light is speaking to me. And Saul interacts with the light, and it says that then he is about to hear what he must do. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he's blind. I mean, he's literally blind. He's on this journey to Damascus. This light starts speaking to him. He falls to the ground, and the next thing he knows, he stands up, and he's blind. So Saul got up from the ground. He opened his eyes. He couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, the passage goes on, and we find out that not only was Jesus speaking to Saul, he was speaking to another man. Let's continue on in verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, which it's not the same Judas that you're thinking of, different Judas. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, friends, if I'm Ananias, I'm like, Lord, got yourself the wrong house. You have come to the wrong man. This instruction that you have given is not the instruction that I was looking for, right? You can imagine Ananias in the beginning is like, whoa, the Lord is visiting me, right? The Lord has a vision for me. And then he hears what the vision is, right? And he's thinking, I don't want to do this. Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is, is literally saying to Jesus, do you know who you're asking me to go see? Do you know that the odds are pretty high, Lord, that, that he's going to take my life if I go there? And if not take my life, he's going to most definitely throw me in jail. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man 
this man who is trying to stop the unstoppable force is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Jesus says, yes, this is who I am calling you to go to. This is who I am calling you to be with. And so it says in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, listen to those words, brother Saul. This is the man that is persecuting and destroying the church. And he calls him brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So scales literally fall from Saul's eyes. He truly sees for the very first time he gets up, he's baptized, he has a meal. I mean, this is a man that has priorities, right? He knows what to do. And I love this story. I've preached on this story so many different times, studied this story, and every time I have read this passage, every time I've actually preached on this passage, every time that I have, have studied it, I've studied it because I was so mesmerized by Saul's conversion. Here's this man that wants to stop the unstoppable force, and then God stops him, blinds him, heals him, and then he goes on, and if you read in the book of Acts, Saul's name is changed to Paul. And Paul becomes this unstoppable force for the church, arguably, probably the most influential leader of the church. In many ways, we are sitting here today because of what God did in Paul's life. He takes this unstoppable force and it begins to spread all around the church. And I've been so mesmerized by this passage because part of me says, I mean, where would the church be without Paul? This one that was against the unstoppable force is now for it. Where would the church be without Paul? But as I read this passage more and more, I began to see, friends, where would Paul be without Ananias? And where would Ananias be? if he would have chosen comfort over courage. You see, the moment of this story is not about Paul. The moment of this story for us this morning is that Ananias had a very real moment. This was not an easy thing. This was not an easy task that God had called him to do. I bet every part of him wanted to choose comfort. And yet, he chose courage. And what I love, what I love is that he went all in, didn't he? I mean, he went all in. Ananias didn't go looking for this circumstance. It was hard, and I'm sure he wanted to choose comfort. I mean, wouldn't you? Don't you in your life? You know, when, when life is here, I mean, be honest, isn't this what you want? what I want. 
You know, I know that there are many of you here today and you are facing a decision and that decision just feels like this weight that is on you today. There's a difficulty. You are between two options and you know one option is gonna land you back here and the other option is gonna require so much courage and everything in you is saying choose comfort. Some of you are dealing with a loss and you are wondering, is Jesus really going to be the one that brings comfort? Because I'll be honest, I wanna go out and get my own comfort. Some of you are facing a rejection. Some of you, if you're being really honest this morning, there's a place in your life where you are tempted to cut a corner. And you have found yourself in a hard situation and you know that if you actually choose the truth and you choose to step into courage, it's potentially gonna get harder. And so everything about you wants to choose comfort. You see, comfort is what we want. It's always what we want. But courage is what we need. Comfort is always what we want. But courage is what we need. And every time we choose comfort for ourselves, it's just a temporary moment to give ourselves the thing that we think we most want, the thing that if we were to be really honest, we worry if Jesus will actually provide. But what grows our souls, what transforms our lives is when we trust Jesus to provide the comfort and we choose courage. Thank you. Friends, comfort gives something to you, but courage takes something of you. Comfort's gonna give something to you. You're gonna feel some temporary relief. You're gonna numb out on the pain. It's gonna feel good for a little while. Comfort gives something to you, but courage takes something from you. And this is where you were designed to live. Courage pulls out who you truly are, who God made you to be. Courage pulls your most authentic self forward and your essence actually begins to shine. But most of us, when we picture a life of courage, we just picture a life of it's gonna be hard. Are you kidding me? There's so much risk. What if it doesn't go well? What if I made the wrong choice? What if I fail? What if things don't turn out? Oh well, you chose courage. You chose courage. And here's the thing, courage in many ways is what you're already doing. So many of us, we look at this and we think, oh gosh, there's no way, there's no way I could live a life of courage. I mean, that's for people that are really courageous. That's for like the people that go and climb like Mount Everest, right? They can have their courage, I'll have my comfort. But here's the thing, you've been choosing courage all throughout your life already. You think about, at one point, every single one of us, the way that we got about the earth is we crawled, okay? If you wanted to get from point A to point B, you crawled there. And at some point, you decided, you know what? This is comfortable crawling. People pick me up. 
They take me where I want to go. But, but I think I want what they have. I want to be able to walk there. In fact, I don't want to just walk there. I want to run there. And you got uncomfortable. You chose courage. You didn't even know you were doing it. And you started walking. You think about talking, right? At some point, you had no words. You just babbled. You just like, and people looked at you and they're like, oh, that's so cute, right? And that's how you communicated. But at some point, you started learning letters and you started learning phonics and you started putting those letters into words and those words became sentences and you started talking and some of you, you haven't stopped since. <laughs> you see, you've, you've already chosen courage in your life. You did it this morning. You already did it this morning. I bet you every single one of us had a moment where your bed felt so good. Oh, the sheets were perfect. The sun was coming in. It was Sunday. The only person that had to work was the people that worked at the church. This is my day off. Oh, this is glorious. This is wonderful. And you know what you did? You got out of that comfortable bed. Now, you may have had four cups of coffee already, but you have chosen courage. There's a whole lot of other places you could have been this morning. A whole lot of other options that you could have chosen. But you already know how to do this. So many of us think that this is gonna be so hard. You already know how to do this. And you see, I'm sure Ananias was hoping for a more comfortable vision from Jesus than go to the house of the most dangerous man that you know that is literally murdering and persecuting Jesus followers. But I've got to believe that when Jesus gave him that instruction, an instruction that was hard, and when he wanted to choose comfort, he instead said, I'm gonna take courage. I'm gonna take courage. And this is what I know. He didn't just take courage, he went all in on courage. Because, you know, if it were me, and that vision would have been given to me, I probably would have gone to the house where Saul was at, and I would have kind of like cracked the door open and been like, excuse me, is there a man named Saul in here? I think Jesus wants to heal you. In his name, be healed. Best of luck. Right? I, I mean, that, that, that is, I'm not kidding. That is what I would have done. Ananias went all in. He went up to him. He called him Brother Saul. Friends, he put his hand out. He touched him. He went all in on courage. And you see, one moment of courage can change everything. The entire church is built upon it. And people preach and teach about how the scales fell off of Paul's eyes and the movement that Paul led, but thank God for the courage of Ananias today. Thank God that he chose courage over comfort. And you know what? This church is built on hundreds and thousands of moments of courage. I see it 
all around here all the time. I see people pushing past their comforts and choosing courage. People doing the same thing that Ananias did and reaching out their hands and reaching out their hearts and reaching out their resources and saying, I'm not gonna stay here where the door is kind of cracked. I'm going all in because I wanna be an unstoppable force. And the thing that I have learned about courage, I'm getting sweaty up here, so you guys better come with me, okay? <laughs> the thing that I have learned about courage is that it only grows when it's used. Courage only grows when it's used. You cannot read some pithy Instagram post that's like, let me tell you about the things that I did today that were so courageous. And then you're like, I'm courageous, because you read the post. You can't read about courage and say, now I'm courageous. You can't even listen to an inspiring, life-changing sermon like this one <laughs> and say, I'm courageous. You can't. Courage only grows when it's used. It's the only way that it grows. And I want to say to you, Soul City Church, we need you to use your courage. We need you to use your courage in the world. We need you to use your courage where you work. We need you to use your courage in your relationships. We need you to use your courage in your marriages. We need you to use your courage in your parenting. Because an only God movement that transforms the soul, the city, and the world, it is going to take all of us saying, I'm all in on living a life of courage. And Soul City only becomes an unstoppable force if every single one of us in some way says, I'm going to push through. I am going to push through the thing that I most want, and I'm going to choose courage. It's the only way that we are actually going to be like the unstoppable force, that very first church. Every one of us has to push through our comfort, and we need to choose courage. You see, here's the thing. We need 500 volunteers in this church that are willing to say, I'm all in so that this church can go all out. I'm all in. I am all in on what God is doing so that this church can go all out. And friends, it's not about Soul City Church. It's about Jesus. It's about you going all in with Jesus and how he is moving in and through this church. You see, we need people. We need people to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given to them. We need people that are gonna say, I'm all in and God gave me this thing and I'm gonna go all out with it so that I can be a part of this unstoppable force. We need people that are good at producing events, people that are good at photography, people that are good at video and graphic design. We need people that are good at fixing things. They just love tools and they love using those tools. We need small group leaders and people that can lead recovery groups. We need teachers and actors and Soul City kids. We need people that are gonna say, I'm gonna love on Club 45, our fourth and fifth graders here. We need people to help administratively, people that will go and they'll tutor at Brown and Dead Elementary. We need people that say, you know what? I'm gonna get really uncomfortable. I'm gonna buy a plane ticket and I'm gonna go to El Salvador and I'm gonna be a part of this community that we are partnering with and I'm gonna be about God's love there. We specifically need men to Join our prayer team. We need people 
that love helping behind the scenes, writing a note to a guest that comes for the first time. We need people that are good with strategy, people that are good with finances, people that love building business, people that are good with buildings. You see, God has deposited gifts inside of you and he deposited them in you for you to use them for this unstoppable force. We need people that are good at playing the piano, people that are good at playing guitar, people that are good at singing, and not just people because your mom told you you were good at those things, but you're actually good at those things. We need every single person to say, I am willing, I'm willing to choose courage over comfort. I'm willing to go all in, because going all in is what allows us to go all out as a church, all out on loving the same way that this unstoppable force loved. And you know, for me, there's so many areas where God is just messing with me because this is where I wanna stay. It's so much easier here. I'm so much more relaxed here. I feel like things are just kind of going along and in the flow. But God is messing with me and saying, Jeannie, I did not bring you this far for you to settle for comfort. You are called to a life of courage. And you see, as one of your lead pastors and as I knew that Jarrett set it up for me to give a message on Courage over comfort, of course. He's not gonna give that one. He's gonna give it to me. And as I'm wrestling all week long over this message, do you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to give you a comfortable message. Because I know as a church, we have been stretched the last year and a half. I know that. I'm not unaware of that. I'm not in some la-la land thinking like, everything is just easy around here. I'm aware of all of the change that has occurred. And I know what happens when change occurs in most people. They wanna double down on comfort. And I'm aware that every person in this room, you probably have a very valid reason for why you are in a season to not serve. And yet here I am asking you to serve. But my call, my call of courage is to call you to courage. You see, what would have been comfortable for me is to not call you to courage. But I know what God was most asking me to do today is to say, no, this is what you were designed for. And I wanna be really honest with you this morning, not as if I'm not honest in other sermons, but I wanna be really honest with you. I'm uninterested in leading a church where 20% of the people serve and give and the other 80% just sit and take. That's not an unstoppable force. And I'm not even a good leader for a movement like that. I, I, I never wanted us to be a place where people just come and see what God is doing. Oh, isn't it amazing? The worship, the messages, they care for my kids, the small groups. I can come and I can see what God is doing. No, we are a church for us to go and be the love of God. 
We are not called to just be a comfortable place where you come and see, that's the theater. And their ticket prices are way more expensive. <laughs> and every time I speak, I do, I trust God to speak to you, but this last week, oh, I just, I just wanted to make it comfortable. I wanted to come up with some kind of like good rhyme, you know? So you're like, that's a good rhyme, that's really memorable. I wanted to tell an inspiring story where everybody was like, yes, that's me. I will go, I will serve, right? I, I wanted to, to say something funny so you would laugh and you'd be like, okay, I'll do it. She's nice, she's funny, I'll go all in. But here's the thing, I'm not interested in convincing you. The Spirit of God does that. The Spirit of God does that. And I can just tell you what serving has done in my life. It has turned me upside down and has called me out of comfort into a life of courage. And over the last seven and a half years, I have wanted to double down on comfort more than any years in my life. This church has taken every little fiber of courage that exists in my body. And it's turned my life inside out and upside down. And I'm still willing to go all in on it. I'm still willing to say, you can count on me to be all in. You see, here's what I have learned about courage. Every moment you spend chasing comfort is a forfeited opportunity to choose courage. Every single time you go chasing this, it's a forfeited opportunity for courage. And so I wanna ask you, will you choose today to stop chasing comfort? Will you stop chasing comfort in your life? And I'm not asking out of desperation, I'm asking out of preparation. You see, I believe God is calling us into a new chapter as a church. So this isn't out of desperation, this is out of preparation. We wanna be ready, just like Ananias, for whoever walks through those doors. We wanna be about what God is about to do. And friends, he has not brought us this far to start becoming a comfortable church. And I know there are lots of places here this morning where God is calling some of you to take courage. You already know it. I don't even need to go through a whole list of things. In fact, I can see some of your eyeballs looking up at me right now and you're like, oh man, she just caught eye contact with me. I think she's calling me out. And I am. No more messing around with comfort. It's time to be a courageous church, Soul City. It's our time. And so we made it really simple for you to say you're going all in. Some might even say we made it comfortable. <laughs> I want you to take out your cell phones and I wanna give you an opportunity to say you're willing to go all in on this vision. So you can take out your cell phones, you can open up the text app and what we wanna ask you to do, even if you're already serving, even if you've said, 
a thousand ways, I'm all in. I can't say I'm all in again. I've signed every wall, I've done everything. I've, I've done all the rocks, I've done all the wood. I, I've crossed the sea. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I want you to go to this number and text in these words, all dash in. All dash in to 31996. You're gonna see a little prompt. It's just gonna ask for your name and email. And all we're gonna do is reach out to you and say, how can we help you go all in? How can we help you go all in around here so that we can go all out as a church? And one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is when Jesus comes walking out on the water. Maybe, maybe you know this story. They just fed 5,000 people and you know the disciples are like, whoa, look at us. Like, I can't believe we were a part of that, right? And they go and they take a little break. They go out on a boat and you know, they're kind of chilling. Jesus doesn't go with them and they're out there and a, and a storm starts brewing and all of a sudden they see Jesus walking out on the water and they're terrified. They are straight up terrified. I mean, I would be terrified if I saw Jesus walking across Lake Michigan, right? And they look up at Jesus and these are the words that he says to them. Take courage. Take courage. And after that moment is the moment when Peter decides, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna lift up my hand for courage. I am no longer gonna be about a life of comfort. I am going to take courage. You see, Jesus brings us comfort, but we take courage. We take courage and that is what you were designed to do. And some of you here today, you know that God is calling you to step out of the boat to take courage in your life. And I wanna ask you today, will you do it? Will you stop making your excuses for comfort? And will you live a life of courage? So I hope you, you text in those two words, all in. I hope you say, you can count on me to be all in so that we can go all out. And more than that, I hope you choose courage in every area of your life. I wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna move into a time of worship. You know, one of the areas where I long for us to become a more courageous church is I long for us to become more courageous in the ways that we pray. You know, I've, I've seen all of us, I've seen myself when I go to sporting events or when I go to concerts, I'm like this at those, right? I'm all in, I'm, I'm loving it, I'm feeling it, I'm having a great time. And I long for us as the people of God to pray with our bodies what our hearts and our minds are saying. And I wonder today, if God is calling you into some form of courage, would you do just what Peter did and would you just hold up your hand? Say, I'm gonna take courage today. I'm gonna take courage today. And would you say with your body what your heart is communicating? And so Jesus, thank you that you call us out of our safe and secure spaces of comfort. 
thank you that when life gets hard, you are with us in the wind and the waves and you say to us, just take courage. I'm here. I've always been here. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would deposit courage upon courage upon courage in this room here today. We trust you and we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.